Hey, folks, I'm Tom. KJ here. You know the drill. We are back to promote the Dunlap Champions Club. They've been a longtime sponsor of Front Row Knowles, and uh, we appreciate that. Uh, And you will appreciate the Champions Club if you have not been there. We've been saying this for a couple of years now, basically since it opened. You need to at least schedule a tour. The season's here. Go in, sample it, find out what you're missing. It is a great place to watch a ball game. Florida State uh, is scheduled for a 5 o'clock kick for their first home game, and I know there may even be some more. So if you want to stay out of the heat, you got that opportunity, as well as food and drink, the ability to get up and move around. It's a great place to watch a contest. It's also a great place to watch other contests because they got lots of TVs. And don't tell anybody I said that because really we want you sitting in the seats watching the FSU game. But uh, you can check on the other games too. For more information, you can call 850-644-1830 to buy tickets or schedule a tour. And now... On with the show. Broadcasting live from the Prime Meridian Bank Studios in the capital city of Tallahassee, this is Front Row Knowles with Tom Block and Keith Jones. Front Row Knowles is brought to you by Cornerstone Tool and Fastener, online at ctf.nu. Now, here's Tom and Keith. Good day, everybody. Tom and KJ with you. We're uh, not going to talk about last week. Let's just talk about this week. How about that? What, was there a last week? Apparently there was. I think we review the tape and then we bury it. Isn't that what they did over at the Moore Center? If I block it out of my mind, black it out of my mind, did it actually happen? It doesn't exist. Exactly. So we got Wake Forest this week. There you go. The game you circle on the calendar every year when the schedule comes out. Well, you know, there was a time <laughs> you circled it and put a W in it, but of late, uh, it has been an issue. <laughs> I had a thought, and I really didn't mean to start this way, but we'll start this way. So, offhand, how many interceptions does the defense have? Like five? I don't know. Not many. How many do corners have? I'll go to zero there, maybe one. Well, Asante had one at Virginia. I don't know. Anyway, the point is, I remember back in the day, Mario Edwards, senior, had four in one game. It was the Marcus Outson game. That's, that's right. a single game record. He had four in one game at I, Wake Forest. I was Forest. flashing six at you because I was confusing it with Winky throwing no, six. Winky threw six. <laughs> uh, teammate of Mario's. Mario picked off four in one single game. Yeah, I don't know. We don't need to go back down that road. I'll just simply state the obvious. Uh, it's a pretty big football game. No matter how hard it is for Florida State folks to wrap their mind around the fact that I'm saying Wake Forest is a big football game. We've talked about it's been mentioned uh, people don't want to hear it but you know it is a different ACC mainly because it's a different Florida State now the rest of the schools have gotten better there's no question that when FSU entered the league in 92 that everybody else started doing more to try to catch up now that Florida State has leveled off and then taken the little the nosedive you know they've the, the intersection of the graphs is real close if not crossed and though Florida State faithful don't want to think about Wake Forest being a must win and that it, it, it's in question and 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 my goodness aren't we going to be beat them by 40 like we always do well no you're not this is a much different league a much different Florida State team and certainly a much different Wake Forest squad and and they're playing good football and if you go back and look at last week's game you know they were down by 21 they battled back uh there was some controversy over that onside kick that uh, might have given them the ball with just a little bit of time and still down by three. Uh, so there's there's plenty for them to be frustrated with, as well as having confidence with the fact they scored 59 points. And I don't care who you're playing against, you score 59 points, you've done something. Their tempo is even more impressive than FSU's. They run more plays than anybody in the country, I think. Do you remember what happened two years ago there? 
get me started. Remember, my recall is not good. It took a miracle from James Blackman to Auden Tate at the end of the That's football correct. game to Florida State I, to prevail in 2017. Correct. That is correct. So this is not new territory. It's, That's on top of the fact that there's, you know, one of the worst losses of Jimbo's career was 2011 up there. Clint Trickett started that game. There's, there's other. There was a Thursday there's, nighter. There's the Jeff and, Bowden game. I guess it was the first year of Jimbo in, in 2007. There was. Uh, well, the, the Jeff Bowden game was here, but 2007 was a Thursday night game where it was the Xavier Lee or Drew Weatherford who's going to play a game. There's, there's a lot of not great memories with Wake Forest, truthfully. And for the longest time, you know, we worried about cut blocks and and penalties and, and the turf like being that. bad and, and, and that's, turf being bad. Yeah. So, so who's who's going to start at quarterback for FSU? James Blackman will start at quarterback. You had no hesitation. I I just think I know Willie, and maybe I'm wrong. I mean, I don't. I'm only known him for Let a year me and a half. Raise the question: Who would you start? At I would start Hornibrook. Okay, maybe that's why I was caught off guard. I think I would lean to Hornibrook at this point too, from the standpoint that, and I know Hornibrook has a longer track record if you factor in Wisconsin, but if you factor in this year, uh, he won his game as a starter, and we and, and he hasn't had as many opportunities as James. He didn't have as many snaps last week against Clemson as what James had. The way. But I would say this. The coaches will figure that out. I do think they need to play one guy. That's where exactly where I'm going. The way they played them last week does neither of them service. Now, I'll concede. I know why they did that. You know, I'll acknowledge that was a one-day uh, anomaly. But you need to name a starter. You need to give him a long leash. And you need to let him play and get into some rhythm. Uh, none of that happened against Clemson. Again, I know why it was such a disjointed uh, offensive performance, but you cannot run a, a, a squad like that. Yeah, and I think to be fair, and you were just fair in how you said it, leading up to the game, nobody had a problem with the idea being that they were going to play two quarterbacks. So now when everybody says you can't play two, we have to acknowledge that we were okay with it last week and now we're saying play one. I would expect to see that as well. And I, and I go back old school for our listeners that are, that are old like me. You know, they say, well, it worked with Wally Woodham and Jimmy Jordan. Well, that was that was an anomaly. Those two were very good friends. They came from the same high school. They they grew up in the same town, and it was also the town they were playing their college ball in. Those, those types of relationships might can stand the inconsistency of who's one and who's two and who's two and who's one, but it doesn't work for the rest of the world, in my opinion. Florida's playing two quarterbacks right now, not even – No, they're not. And They're playing one quarterback and they're playing a wildcat. But what I was going to say is it came back to bite Dan Mullen last week in that game against LSU. Yeah, but they're playing one quarterback and they're playing a wildcat. Clemson played three quarterbacks last week. Well, when you get up 42 to nothing (laughs) in the third quarter. I'm just putting it on a tee for you, KJ. I think they played 107 players or something for the entire game. Whatever the number was, it was a lot. Didn't they go to the backup? Don't they have a kicking controversy, by gosh? According to Dabo's theatrics on the sideline, I guess they do. I was thinking about it. Isn't Dabo's kid the holder? Maybe that's why you know he's hurting the holder's conversion percentage there if the kicks aren't going through. Boy, that's a stretch. <laughs> we said we weren't going to talk about last week. What else would you like to talk about related? How about basketball? Leonard just keeps on keeping on, huh? Scotty Barnes coming to town, another five star. Exactly. It it it's amazing that I have we don't pay enough attention to our basketball program. I had a revelation related to Leonard, who, as we all talk about, looks like he's. I mean, what if you didn't know what age would you say Leonard is? Look, 58? 52, 53. Okay, 
Bobby needed to shave his head years ago at the end. Mike Martin Sr. should have shaved his head. I, I mean, that, that's I the mean, trick. This, this is this is the part that that's we left. The trick. That, that's the trick. Leonard should have shared that tip. Shave the heads. We'd be good. Be trotting them out there. <laughs> Happy 90th, Bobby. Still coaching. Still recruiting. Still going well, right? Oh. All right. Um, Madison Social, longtime sponsors of the program. They did not lose. They covered the spread last week. Well, not only that, but uh, but they poured it on, too, because they have put BLT Dip Pizza is now a permanent fixture on the menu. So, I mean, that's a win. I mean, you're going to cover the spread every week if you've got that. What's the L? The L? It's not loss. Okay. What's the T? What is your What is your challenge with this? I'm just asking what the ingredients are. Are they the normal ingredients, or the you know how you know how they are? They. they I thought. I thought. I think I'm overthinking this question on the BLT. Do Do you think it's it's something that's more than bacon, lettuce, tomato? I mean, where just, are you going? I'm just asking. I don't know. It's on pizza. It was a good dip. They Did you ha- get it with pineapples? Ask. <laughs> I don't know. If you were on social media, you could tweet to Matt Thompson, the Twitter guy right now, and he would respond before we come back from commercial break, which we're going to do now because this segment's not getting any better. And, in fact, it's getting worse. We will get better. We're going to talk about uh, NIL uh, for a good portion of the program, uh, which has been a big topic. And this is uh, related to the California law that was passed that doesn't take uh, place for three years when uh, it would be implemented. But uh, players being able to be compensated, basically have endorsement deals for their name, image, and, and likeness. likeness. So that conversation. Now you see where I was going with the L and the T? In case. No, that's a stretch. That's not where you were going. It's yeah, not NIL right. dip. All right, yeah, we'll all take right. a break. Come back on Front Row Knowles. Front Row Knowles on 97.9 ESPN Radio is presented by Hobson Chevrolet of Cairo, Georgia. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Now, back to Tom and Keith. Welcome back to Front Row Knowles. Tom and KJ with you. We're going to do something a little bit different than the norm here. Obviously, uh, you guys listen to the show. We usually are pretty specific to Florida State, but we're going to broaden that conversation right now. This will impact Florida State and all of college athletics uh, potentially, and I'm talking about this NIL conversation, name, image, and likeness, that has moved front and center in light of the California Fair Pay to Play Act, which was passed a couple of weeks ago and scheduled to uh, be implemented, I guess, in three years. And we've got a subject matter expert who's on the line with us now, uh, Professor Gabe Feldman from the Tulane Law School. He's the director of the Tulane Sports Law Program. Uh, I know him on Twitter as Sports Law Guy, which actually I was thinking about this, Gabe. I think I, I might have come across you on Twitter during Bounty Gate with the Saints, maybe. But uh, but anyway, I, you're a good follow, and I enjoy the expertise you bring. And thanks for spending a few minutes with us here today. Yeah, my pleasure. Happy to be on. You, a, a few years ago, uh, I guess in, in 2016, actually authored a, a white paper for the Knight Commission on NIL. And, and I know that's several pages long, but but you more than anybody maybe have a grasp of this. So I, I hate to ask you to summarize 19 pages in, in, a, in a sentence or two, but, but can you, for, for the layman and for our listeners, just kind of broadly state what we're talking about here related to NIL and what California is doing moving forward or trying to move forward with? 
Sure, happy to do so. And, and as many people know, the NCAA has been sort of founded on the principle of amateurism for, for many, many, many years. And, and that principle means, among other things, that student-athletes can't be paid for their athletic ability, which means both they can't be paid to play or be paid to come to an institution so that they will play, and they can't be paid for the use of their name, image, and likeness if that name, image, and likeness value derives from their athletic ability. And the NCAA has long argued that that's necessary for them to be different than pro sports and for them to be popular for fans to want to watch. Um, and so the argument I made in the Knight Commission paper and what California is arguing now is that those restrictions on name, image, and likeness aren't necessary, that you can still have college sports, you can still have amateurism while also letting these college athletes be paid for use of their name, image, and likeness in, for example, an endorsement deal, for signing an autograph, for making an appearance at a local car dealer, uh, whatever the case may be, as long as it's regulated. So, so my paper suggests, one, that the restrictions on NIL are unnecessary, and then, two, puts forth a framework that would allow the NCAA to have a market for NIL but regulate it and make sure it's not being abused. Gabe, Keith Jones here. A little bit of background. I played ball here at Florida State in the late 70s. Uh, grew up in a small town in central Florida. Would not have been able to attend college if I had not had a grant and aid. Uh, I was a three-year starter, played in back-to-back Orange Bowls. I had a great college career. I had no question that I was never going to play at the next level, but I was a pretty good college player. I graduated with no debt. I got my degree in four years, and I've had a very great career here in Tallahassee. I'm going to be the old school that you got to drag kicking and screaming across the table that this is a good idea. Um. I, I understand the concept. My my issue, having been in the locker room, having broadcast Florida State games for 30 years and known the players, I just worry my fanny off about the quote-unquote unintended consequences. And I know you addressed some of those and dispelled some of those, but I think that's a big hurdle that us older folk are going to have to get over regarding this topic. Yeah, and and I hear that a lot, particularly from former players, whether they are football players or basketball players or or even from the Olympic sport. Um, and and I understand that, and I don't try to diminish the potential harm that might come from this. But for me, the question starts with why are we depriving college athletes the rights that all other college students get? And the argument has been that we needed to maintain amateurism and needed to maintain the purity of, of college athletics. And I, I just not sure that's true. And I, and I get um, the idea that we don't want to destroy college sports and I love college sports and I've worked in college sports for a long time. And it's important to me as it is to, to most people out there who might be listening to this. And so my idea is how do we strengthen college sports while also providing more rights for college athletes? And might there be some unintended consequences that we have to worry about? Yes. But the question is whether those unintended consequences are so powerful that they justify denying college athletes of, of rights. And, and this, this plan would not deprive college athletes of, of scholarships. They would still get their grant aid. They would still get their cost of attendance. This would just allow some number of college athletes, we don't know how many, to be allowed to get paid for their name, image, and likeness. Um, and, and so I, my, I believe, again, if it is properly regulated, properly done, it can protect all the things that you love about college sports but also give some additional benefits to college athletes. So related to what you just said in terms of unintended consequences, and, and you said they could still have their grant and aids, 
Uh, couldn't this open Pandora's box, though, if, if they're now being compensated, that now the IRS looks at uh, Pell Grants, for example, uh, you know, that which are need-based and, and a student quali- student athlete qualified, but now they've made $50,000 from a local car dealer. So now do they have to return their Pell Grant? Uh, you know, could their scholarship or grant and aid as a whole become taxable? That sort of question. So th- there are questions about what might become taxable, what might not become taxable. Uh, I, th- th- you might th- the same issues were raised when the NCAA loosened the restrictions on outside employment for college athletes. For a very long time, college athletes were not allowed to have outside employment during the year because everybody was afraid of the unintended consequences, and everybody was afraid that the car dealer, I won't use Tallahassee, we'll say Gainesville, the car dealer in Gainesville Good was going to pay <laughs> a, the quarterback $50,000 for a made-up job. And so they put specific rules in place to govern what that employment would look like and how you can be paid and that you have to actually work at that place of employment. Um, and everything went on as normal. No, not, nothing really changed. And, and I think the same could happen for name, image, and likeness, again, if it's done in the right way, if it's regulated. And I don't think it has to affect the tax liability on the on the scholarship just because they are receiving outside income. Because remember, that my proposal would be that only third parties can pay the college athletes. This money wouldn't be coming from the school, so this wouldn't affect the the athletic budget. All otherwise, uh, except the extent that a booster or donor might give to the college athlete instead of the university. So in those limited cases, it might lead to less money coming to the athletic department. But otherwise, this is third party money going to the college athlete just like third-party money goes to lots of other students on campus and doesn't affect their, their scholarship and their programs. So in, in a sense, what you're, what you're saying is if you regulate it, it's much like legalized gambling. You know, gambling is going to exist regardless, but we've had Vegas, and so it is regulated, and so people that follow that are able to see when a line moves and, and can grow suspicious. That, is that, I don't want to misstate what you're saying, but that's part of your argument there. That's absolutely part of it, and it's, it's, that's in response to some of the arguments that this is going to lead to the top schools paying the best players, um, this is going to lead to all sorts of corruption and abuse, and, and part of my argument as well, the top schools are paying more for facilities and coaches and administrators than the other schools, so that's already happening, and we know that lots of people, well, lots of people, some number of athletes are being paid under the table. Um, because when you have these type of restrictions, it pushes everything into a black market, just like with gambling. When gambling is illegal, it pushes everything into illegal gambling, other than in Las Vegas. Um, and this will bring it out, and we'll be able to actually monitor, regulate it, and hopefully clean it up a little bit, make it more transparent, have all these deals have to run through the athletic department, have to run through the NCAA and a, and a third-party commission that would make sure that these are good-faith transactions to hopefully make this safer for the college athlete, because right now if a college athlete is getting money under the table from a booster or someone, there is obviously no way to protect the college athlete in that circumstance. And we've seen lots of cases over the years where the college athlete might be taken advantage of. Um, And so this will at least, I think, provide more protection and more benefits for the college athlete. Gabe, within your your studies and your research, uh, have you or anyone else done a study uh, about the athletes that do work and and have jobs through that NCAA program? Because I just think it's such a small fraction. I don't know that we can even use that as a model or or claim that as something that that we can say arguably works or doesn't work because so few take advantage of it. Do you you have any stats at all on that? Well, I don't have any specific numbers. The NCAA might have the specific numbers, but 
my, my point for raising that analogy is when that was proposed, people said this will be the death of college athletics because this will lead to a backdoor that boosters will be able to pay college athletes to uh, attract them to their institution. And it turned out, because college athletes don't have time during the year to have jobs most of the time, um, that this only affected a small number. And that may be the case for name, image, and likeness. We may only be talking about a handful or a couple of handful of the of the top athletes in the in men's basketball and football. And if that's the case, then this is sort of much to do about nothing. That we're not really going to have to monitor all that much. Not much is going to change. If this affects a lot of athletes and a lot of different schools, then I, I I still think that shows. Well, why are we restricting their ability to make money? If this is the maybe the only time for many athletes, and, and Keith, it sounds like you might have been one of those athletes where you're a star at Florida State, and your name, image, and likeness was worth it the most while you were in college. But that's the only time you're not allowed to capitalize on. Yeah, my face so was much more valuable back then. I now have a face made for radio, Gabe. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, true. Now your voice is worth a lot more. But, uh, but back then, your, your name and your image um, and your general likeness were worth, were worth a lot. To some, um, at least more than to the average Florida State, or I should say someone who maybe doesn't live in Tallahassee who doesn't get to hear your voice all the time. Uh, so this is a question of why are we trying to stop it? And, yes, I would agree with you, there aren't thousands of student-athletes who are working during the year. Um, so we don't know what it would look like if there were more and more of them doing it and how hard it would be to regulate that. But my general point is, again, just like with free agency in baseball and every other thing you can think of where – the leagues understandably said, if we change the current system, this is going to get destroyed and everyone's going to be worse off. And in most cases, that didn't happen. We're talking with Gabe Feldman, who uh, directs the Tulane Sports Law Program, a legal expert, talking about NIL. Well, you know, we won't know the unintended consequences until we get there. So just, just for the sake of moving this along, California passed a law that takes effect in three years. Florida and several other states have proposed legislation right now. In the case of the state of Florida, I mean, if they pass this, the legislative session is January to March, and the governor would sign it plus or minus April 1, and then 90 days later, July 1, this could be law, and nobody would know how to police this or what to do. So I guess the bigger question here is, and I know the NCAA has a committee, it feels like it would behoove them to get out in front of this at some point and make a recommendation so that states would not be proposing separate legislation and we might have more of a common ground and a way to move forward on this. I agree, and as you mentioned, the NCAA has a working group that will be coming out with some recommendation. I don't know if it will be public or not at the end of this month is the plan. Um, And that's been put together and with a sense of urgency because of the pressure from first California and now these other states. And and I agree, it would make sense for them to change the rules so that the the states no longer need to do this or, or no longer have a desire to do it. But there's a question of whether the NCAA will be willing to go that far on their own or whether they're going to have to be forced into doing it. The problem with the state legislation, as you mentioned, is no matter what you think of the NCAA, they need uniform rules. Even if not every school is created equally, and even if not every school will compete the same way on the field, we still want them operating, generally speaking, under the same rules. We want to have a level playing field, and then the best team will win or the best recruiters or the best coaches. But if you have California allowing their athletes to get paid or for name, image, and likeness, or Florida to allow theirs, that's clearly going to impact um, recruiting. That's clearly going to make it more attractive for certain athletes to go to those states. And if the NCAA wants uniform rules, they're going to have to drop down to the lowest common denominator. 
right, they're going to have to adopt Florida's law or California's law or whatever state comes up with a more lax rule. But what if the states have slightly different rules and how to have uniformity? So the NCAA hopefully will come up with some change that satisfies the states. I don't know that that's going to happen. So the next step might be that they challenge these state laws in court and say that they're unconstitutional because they're interfering with the NCAA's ability to operate a interstate college sports association. And just like the NFL needs the same rules for all of its teams, college sports need the same rules for all of its teams. Uh, so we might have a, a big legal battle coming down soon. And for Gabe, for our listeners that don't haven't followed this, there, there's also movement in Washington. There, there may be a federal law of some type and nature that gets introduced and or gets voted on. Right. And ironically, it may turn out the NCAA wants the federal legislation because the federal legislation at least will be uniform across the country. And if the NCAA can convince Congress to give them a federal legislation that's that's more helpful to them and maybe a little more restrictive than what the states are passing, that may be what they need. And it's against not dissimilar. You brought up the legalized gambling uh, uh, earlier on where the, the pro leagues and the NCAA said, we can't have it legalized, we can't have it legalized. Then it got legalized on a state-by-state basis, and they said it can't be a state-by-state basis. We need to go to Congress to get some help. So we might see the NCAA actually try to lobby some of these um, federal legislators to say, look, if the states are going to try to do this, we're going to battle it in court. If we lose in court, we're going to need some help from Congress. We could talk for uh, much longer than we are about this, but that's a really good broad overview. I have have one last question that I'm thinking of, and and this is getting into the weeds of it, but – I'll just use so Cam Akers is a star running back at FSU right now. If he could, if he could monetize his NIL, can he do it in FSU gear? I mean, can he wear an FSU jersey? This is where you get into how are you splitting the dollars, or is it just Cam Akers, uh, you know, plain clothes, so to speak? Because that's another fight that this would go down to, I would think. Yeah, so there there are multiple ways to do it, and we could really just look at the pro leagues as the model where you can have an individual deal where a player reaches a deal with a third party, so whether it's an apparel company or, or whatever it might be, and they don't have the right to use the team logos or marks. They can't be in the jersey. That's why you see guys that are in Campbell Soup commercials just in their street clothes or in some generic sports clothes. Um, then there's sometimes where they actually do have a deal where you are wearing the player is wearing the jersey, and that's either because they partnered with the team or the league or because it's part of a group licensing deal where all the players pool their rights. So it's why we have the, the video games and trading cards. And we could have one or both of those at the college level. Uh, you, could, you can imagine where a conference says, all right, we're going to pool all of the rights of the college athletes, and that way we can do a deal where the athletes are wearing their jerseys um, or they're in trading cards or they're in video games, whatever it might be, and then the revenue gets divided equally among the players, which is how it really was done for a very long time at the pro level. And then if you're on the cover of the game, then that player might get more. Um, or you could say, you know what, that's taking it too far. We're not comfortable with that. We just want to allow athletes to do individual deals. In that case, if you do an individual deal, you don't get to wear the jersey. You don't get to wear the FSU jersey. Uh, you don't get to use their logos. You don't get to use the name. You're just you're capitalizing on the value of your name, image, and likeness, not the name, image, and likeness or, or marks of, of your institution. Really good insight, Gabe. We, we appreciate it. I know uh, you've, you've enjoyed – watching this uh conversation unfold and now it's you know it's moved from maybe back burner when you were on the on the front end of this to now it's it's certainly on the front burner for the next couple of years but thanks for spending a few minutes of time with us to uh, enlighten us and our listeners we appreciate it yeah my pleasure guys thanks for having me on thanks gabe all right gabe feldman again directs the tulane sports law program he's at sports law guy 
on Twitter, uh, which doesn't apply to you, Keith. So I'll just I'll print out what he tweets and then I'll I'll mail it. To, I'll fax it to you. You're so funny. I know. I forgot to mention that he joined us via the Earl Bacon Agency hotline, the Earl Bacon Agency, ensuring your future together. There's a lot to react to. We're going to bring Bob Ferrante from the Osceola into the conversation, but I'll give you the floor real quick before we break here. Well, again, back to the unintended consequences. You don't know what they are <laughs> until they happen, and I think that's the fear. Uh, the other, the only other analogy that I can think of is when uh, Oklahoma and Georgia sued the NCAA over broadcast rights for television 20, 25 years ago, all of the athletic directors combined said, all the NCAA said, if we allow the schools to have independent television contracts, then attendance is going to go away. Nobody will go to the games. And what happened is the popularity of college football skyrocketed. And that's what's led to where we are now. That's what led the money. It's television money. That's what led has led to five and seven and nine million dollar a year salaries and seventy thousand excuse me seventy million dollar football only facilities. This box, we don't know if it will be that big or not. We don't know all of the Pandora issues, but it has the inkling of being of the same magnitude. And as a result, I am very skeptic, skeptical that, that the NCAA will do anything about it because everybody in the NCAA is going to be against it. And it's probably going to take some form of federal legislation or lawsuit to really ferret everything out. Well, I think we'd all agree that you just can't have a separate set of rules everywhere. That that would be a nightmare. Some of the other unintended consequences, and we'll go to break, I, I would – well, one that you've mentioned, we didn't talk about it here, is – just the the chemistry in the locker room if the guy in this locker is getting paid 250 grand to do car commercials and the guy next to him is getting a free dinner once a month i mean that that's a disparity that doesn't necessarily exist right now uh from a compliance standpoint it could mean that you need a lot more compliance folks for every athletics department or it could mean that they're you know, you've got the same department, but they're focusing their efforts elsewhere because you're not having to police some of the things they're policing now. Well, for example, every athlete that has an automobile, my understanding, it has to sign an affidavit as to where that automobile came from and how they acquired it. So you've got to do that for 500 athletes at Florida State. Maybe that goes away and they can redirect their right. efforts somewhere else. And another one he mentioned, and I don't know where this would land, but uh, – you know, there is the there is somebody, a sponsor that is spending dollars, either either an individual or a corporation that's donating to Seminole Boosters or FSU or through Learfield IMG might say, you know what, I'm going to reduce how much I spend there because I'm going to spend the extra money to make sure that I have James Blackman as the voice of this commercial. So it, it's reallocating dollars potentially from the university to the student athlete. We'll come back to this, but I don't fear, like, like Gabe pointed out, I don't fear – Keith Jones Motors, who's donating $25,000 a year to Florida State now in order to get 10 tickets and, and whatever and whatever. I don't worry about Keith Jones Motors taking away their money because they're getting something in return that only the university can give them. What I worry about is mine and your livelihood in this little thing called Learfield IMG College so instead of spending $50,000 for a billboard and an announcement on the PA system, I spend $50,000 for James Blackman to come sign solid autographs every other Friday night in the off-season at my car dealership. Yeah. And I worry about the, the media rights holders 
income. That's where my fear is. Well, the good news here, Keith, is once this gets to the courts, you and I will have long since moved on from this arena before they reach any conclusion. <laughs> All right. We are, uh, we're not at the conclusion part yet. We've got uh, much more straight ahead. We'll continue with uh, Front Row Knowles right after this. Front Row Knowles is brought to you by the Osceola, dedicated to FSU sports and fan experiences. Sign up for a free trial at theosceola.com or call 833-FSU-NEWS. Every rose has its thumb, just like Well, you may be able to tell as the lighters go up in the studio that uh, Bob Ferrante, our Osceola insider, is with us. He wanted hair bands. You know, we're trying. And he literally is a rose between two thorns right now because he's in the studio. <laughs> Bob, how are you? I, I'm doing well. I'm fired up now after a little hair band from the 80s. I like this. <laughs> yeah, hey, we're, we're doing our part. Uh, we'll talk Florida State here, but you were able to listen to that conversation. And I know you guys have written about it on the Osceola and probably have more to come. Um, you know, that's the kind of topic we could have we could have spent six hours with Gabe and really had a true debate. And let's get into the weeds. But what strikes you as your biggest, uh, you know, concerns or the biggest reasons you're you know, you're an advocate of, of players being able to monetize their NIL? I thought Gabe brought up the best point is that you need some kind of uniform federal legislation. You need to figure out how this is going to be the same across all 50 states so that in theory, no one college or no one program has a recruiting advantage um, or a way to keep a player out of the transfer portal, perhaps. And I think, I think recruiting is going to be the biggest concern that I have moving forward. What prevents, say, coach at school A from saying, okay, you're a good quarterback, here's $100,000, and we'll give you that $100,000 in each of the next four years if you stick around and you perform for us. What happens if school B is only offering 75000 what happens if C finds out about it and says, oh, we'll grab you for 150 Then what happens to the smaller HBCUs who are nowhere near even putting any money forward? So we've got a lot of main questions we have to get down on this road. I think we need to maybe tap the brakes a little bit from a big picture standpoint, but really have a good discussion about how to handle this moving forward. I agree. What's scary is if Florida passes a law on this, we're, we're going to be scrambling to figure out how to make it work after the fact. And we're right at the epicenter. I mean, this is going to happen in Tallahassee with the Florida legislature voting on bills. And it sounds like there's going to be a couple bills coming forward, too. And it's coming faster than we thought. Like with California, we thought this will be 2023. Oh, there's plenty of time to figure this out and have everybody meet and talk. And how are we going to execute it? And then you start seeing these bills and they say effective date of maybe July 1st, maybe faster. How do schools move? And and we know colleges don't move fast on this kind of legislation. They like to form committees and talk. And so there's just a lot of moving pieces. And I'm kind of a a, a tap the brakes guy a little bit. So I just I just want to kind of see how do we pull all these pieces together and have a good conversation first. Guys, to, again, to go back a little bit and then branch out, having played college football and, and having been able to graduate with no debt and my degree, that was enough for me. That's what I was promised, and that's what I got. Today's world, you, you get the same promise. 
You get the full cost of attendance, which I know the Osceola has done some research on. Uh, Bob, I don't know whether you're you're at where you know what that number is. We'll talk about that in just a second. You you get Pell Grants. The Pell Grant program wasn't as popular and wasn't as well known back in my day, and the dollars involved were very, very small. So today's athlete gets the degree with no debt, got money along the way. Isn't that enough? Becomes the question. I realize the argument about I should have the right to be able to do something. Well, that's the argument. But but aren't they being, let's use the word, aren't they being compensated enough for an 18 to 22-year-old? I, I raised three kids. Kathy raised two. We've got five between us. I don't even trust my children that I raised from my loins with $50,000 when they were 19 years old. And this is this is a, a great debate because as parents, we want our kids to get a college education and not have student loan debt when they get out. So I, I think maybe to Keith's point, Coach Taggart suggested and some other coaches have jumped on board and said, okay, what about this money is tied to graduation? You cannot get a dime early. You must graduate. You can graduate in three years, five years, maybe six. But you take care of your business in the classroom, you get rewarded for what you've made as a, let's say, a pitch man for a downtown car dealership. Maybe you're a social media influencer where you're pushing a product on your Twitter or through YouTube. So, again, kids don't handle money right. Maybe that's where colleges have to step in and say, we need to help you be a good financial planner. We're going to show you how, and we're going to make sure it's also tied to graduation. By the way, they do that now. There's there's a mandatory class that you have to take before you get your first cost of living thing. By the way, how much money but, is that? Yeah, so Jerry Cutts has done a lot of research on this. We're going to run a story down the road. And his, his main question in going down this road is what compensation do student-athletes receive currently before we talk about going down this road of further compensation? So the cost of a full scholarship currently – is 32000 in-state per year, amounts to 128000 over four years. Then if you're out of state, it's 50000 amounting to about 200000 over the cost over the four years. And then, you know, to Keith's point, there are other things coming into play. There's cost of attendance. There's the nutrition supplements. Gone are the days of Shabazz Napier going off during the NCAA. I'm hungry. About, I'm hungry. how he's hungry. And, and and that was a difficult thing to hear and listen to, and colleges have moved forward where there's always going to be fruit or nutrition bars or something. There may not be a 24-hour cafeteria open, and I wouldn't mind seeing that, I think, for a lot of student-athletes, but there are measures in place to make the life easier and more comfortable. We're talking with Bob Ferrante, our Osceola insider. You can read more of uh, what he and his team have put together on the Osceola.com. Of course, you know Jerry Kutz, who founded the Osceola, and uh, now owns it once again. All right, let's let's move past that conversation because honestly, we could talk from now for the next three years until the California law goes into effect or whenever the NCAA files suit or whatever happens. Um, before we get to football, let's at least do basketball real quick and give Leonard his due. Uh, uh, you weren't here for our first segment, but I, I divulged to Keith that the missing ingredient here that Leonard should have passed on is if Bowden and Mike Senior would have just shaved their heads. They'd still both be coaching, and both programs would be perennial top five, top ten programs. But, no, Leonard has done it again, signing a – well, not signing, but getting a commitment from a, a top recruit earlier this week. And, and I love that Leonard Hamilton looks like he's uh, probably 50. That's, that's the point. Shave the head. You can keep going. He is 
he is just a magician, and I, I'm very happy for him because you know, just a few years ago we were talking about how this program was maybe underachieving and losing some of those non-conference games that you felt like they really should have. It was a difference between them going to the NIT and the NCAA tournament. He's kind of turned, you know, Malik Beasley and a Dwayne Bacon and Jonathan Isaac, and we've seen Terrence Mann being a long-term contributor, and now Scotty Barnes is a five-star forward who they've landed a commitment from on Monday. And and I think guys see this this family and and this program that Coach Hamilton has built, and maybe that you don't have to go to Florida, which has always kind of been known as that hoops powerhouse in the mm-hmm. state. You don't have to go out of state. You don't have to go to a Duke or a Carolina or a Kentucky. You can stay in state. Maybe your parents can watch you play a little bit easier. And, and I think I think people like the atmosphere. Um, and to be honest, parents have to love the fact that Coach Hamilton makes sure that you graduate. Now, Scotty Barnes maybe isn't the best example of that. This guy could be a one or two and done. But Coach Hamilton makes sure that these guys are graduating. They're coming back to school. Degree completion is very important to Coach Hamilton. So it's, it's good to see this. It really is a family. We don't talk about it a lot. You know, you hear when football guys come back. But if you went over to the BTC over the summer, you'd see all these guys back there. I mean, all of them that are in the league right now, whether it's Beasley or Bacon or Jonathan Isaac, they're all back in the BTC working out in the offseason. Jonathan Isaac was at the last home football game. Yeah. On the sideline. That's what I mean. It truly is a family with how those guys come back. All right. The football que- – the, the first question, We Keith and I decided we're not looking back. We're only looking forward. So will there be one or two quarterbacks that play this week? I mean, as the plan. I realize an injury could change that or something. Is the plan going to be to play one guy or two, and and if it's and, and who's going to start? This is really a, a tough one. I, I still think James Blackman is the guy in Coach Taggart's view. I'm going to lean on him saying that in past weeks and him not changing his mind that barring injury, James is the guy. Do we see Alex Hornibrook? I think the answer is probably yes, although I, I fear the players not knowing who the guy is in the locker room. And I think it's important that they know who the starter is and that only, say in the example of James starting, Alex is the guy who comes in only if things are not going well and the offense isn't productive. So Coach Tiger's probably made the decision. He might announce it as early as Thursday morning when he meets with the media. But otherwise, we may all be kind of looking on Saturday in the pregame and wondering you know, who takes the snaps from, from center from Bavian Johnson. Wake's going to have their quarterback, aren't they? He's day-to-day. Day-to-day, but I think Jamie Newman is going to do everything he can to play in this game. The backup is Sam Hartman, but but the offense looks different with Hartman. I think I think Clawson would much rather have Jamie Newman. Right. And what some folks that haven't followed Wake may not know is that they can really play offense. They've got some wideouts that can run. They've got a running back that is very, very uh, durable. And depending on which quarterback is, they got a quarterback that can run when he needs to as well. Yeah, they're a, they're a fun team to watch. I kind of look at them and see a Big Twelve team, a lot of offense, not very much defense. They're fun. They like to use the tempo. Um, and I think if Jamie Newman's there, he he likes to to run kind of a modified option where he's almost kind of putting the ball in the belly and watching the defensive end and and really ultra reading at a very slow pace. What am I going to do here? So it, it's a different kind of triple option where he can he can hand it off, he can keep it, he can pass it. He's got some six four, six five receivers who are really talented and can stretch the field. Um, you know, this is 
this is a game where if you're Florida State, you don't want to see a shootout. You kind of fear a shootout, but you want to do your best maybe to to figure out how to how to get some stops in there. And let me elaborate on that just a second for our listeners, Tommy. The running back does not hit the hole hard at at Wake Forest. It's a very it lo- it looks like they don't know what they're doing. It looks like it's almost in slow motion because the quarterback will literally ride that ball in there for a second or a second and a half. It's like the old veer that I ran in high school. And that mesh point takes a long time because they're spending a lot of time to see what's going on. And it takes a lot of practice to run that thing that way. The example I'm thinking of in Florida State terms is the punt ruski where it's, okay, Leroy, you're supposed to stand there for two seconds exactly. before you run. It looks and like he did. He, he couldn't make it there. But when you watch Wake's <laughs> offense, it's literally like exactly. one 1,000, two 1,000. That said, uh, you know, that's just regarding the mesh point, but their tempo is fast. They run more plays than anybody. Um, Bob, I maintain, and I've been there a bunch of times, and it shouldn't be this way for FSU. I mean, you'd love to think that these things aren't factors, but it is not a big-time atmosphere. And and when you get there, no matter how many times the coach tells you that Wake scores however many points they do on offense and their quarterback can do this, you look around and it's – I, I, I want to be careful. It's better than a high school stadium, but it's small and has that kind of feel to it. Yeah, thirty-one thousand at, at BB&T Field. It, it's a it's a cute little stadium. I know we all refer to it as Snuggy Hill out there in the end zone. I, I think the problem with Wake and the stadium and the atmosphere is sometimes if you're a big time college football player like Florida State, you take the name on the jersey for for granted. You don't give them maybe the respect that they deserve. You look at the crowd, and it's not 80,000 like Death Valley. It's not like the swamp. And you think, oh, yeah, no big deal. We got this. And and you don't realize that Wake is a, a bunch of three stars. These aren't the Wake Forest players of, say, 20 years ago where they're a bunch of you know chip-on-the-shoulder types. These are legitimate three stars. Maybe they weren't recruited by Florida State, but this is a dangerous team. And it really wouldn't shock me if this game goes either way. I do fear the shootout from the Florida State perspective. I fear how Florida State has that bounce back mentality coming off Clemson mm-hmm. too. Have they really regrouped and put that triple bogey behind them to make sure that you don't go, you know, bogey up at Winston Salem? So these are some some legitimate, I'd say, mental fears, not so much an X and O fear in my mind. Was it a triple bogey or a snowman? Yeah, it's ugly. <laughs> I I'm think so- it was a ten. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> We're not looking backwards. My bad. Uh, Keith, what else you got football related here? Well, the one thing I was going to go ahead. One thing I was going to mention, and, and, and we can talk about this as we close up, but I'd like to get Bob's perspective. I did read in some comments some things that really bothered me out of the Clemson game that have nothing to do with the X's and O's. And that had to do with the problem communicating. And if they had a problem communicating, guys, that's a coaching error. You You get rid of that during the week. There were times 40 years ago, old people don't know what they're doing. 40 years ago, there were times we would go through segments when they were silent. We were not allowed to say anything. We had to do everything by hand gestures or reading lips. And if the kids were not prepared for that sound at Clemson and they had trouble communicating, that's 100% on the coaches. Did I, did I hear that correctly, and am I wrong? Yeah, I think it does concern you. you know, like This is, say, week one, and you're playing the opener at Clemson. You can imagine, oh, gosh, that's going to be a big problem. And going into the game, we talked to the guys a lot. You know, are, are hand signals being used? I think one of the players, one of the receivers says, well, I'm looking at the ball, so I'm not really worried at all about what I can hear. It's looking at the ball. It's looking at the quarterback. Um, 
it, it is a really big concern when that kind of thing happens in game six. And will it get corrected? It absolutely has to be. You don't think of Wake Forest as being loud, I think, to Tom's point. But communication, whether it's, it's verbal, whether it's eye contact, uh, a coach from the sideline, these are the kind of things that are just part of the game. And, and the players need to have a better working relationship, I think, with everybody, including the coaches, so that moving forward, you don't have, say, a, a miscommunication on double move of a receiver or um, a fumble or you know the play just not getting executed the right way. You have to be one really big cohesive unit. The only thing I would say, Keith, to counter your point is, and I know it was articulated as a communication thing, was it was it truly a communication issue or was it a focus issue? And Jimbo would call it rat trapping. You know, to me it looked like rat trapping. So now you're in there and all of a sudden, man, this place is loud. And and oh by the way, I wasn't paying attention to whatever signal I was just supposed to get. Well, and we talked so about it, that. It, you know, so it, and I understand that. And, and if that was the case, there's no substitute for that other than having been there. And, and we talked about it during the week about focus because I, I was cautioning yeah. people. You don't hear individual sounds. It's 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 like a concussion grenade. It's like a a wave machine. Right. And as soon as you get off, you're just you're in this and, space and, and, and you're ca- not. Yeah. You know, it causes you to not concentrate. And if that's the case, all right, I'll live with that. But if it was a communication problem, I've got issues with that. The other thing I would say, though, is you had an advantage when you played because Monk could read lips. <laughs> That's true. You ever hear the story, Bob? I have not. Like, tell him what Monk would do when he'd look in the other team's huddle. He'd either read the quarterback's lips because, you know, most of the time the quarterbacks were in a circle. That's why, not because of Monk, but that's why they changed the huddle where the quarterback has his back to the line of scrimmage now. You know, they changed, they changed that 25, 30 years ago, the way most teams that still huddle do that. But he'd either read the quarterback's lips or remember back in the day, you used to shuttle the plays in with the fullback or the tight end. So the coach would lean over and whisper in the ear of whoever was bringing the play in. Well, Monk would read their lips there. And one out of three, half the time, we knew what the play was. Right, but 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 the punchline to that is that he'd repeat the play call and then say, I don't know what that is, but that's what they call. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, we knew what an I right 48 toss was, but this XYZ Z comeback 47Q, whatever the hell that is. That's what they're running. <laughs> Bob, appreciate it as always. Thanks, guys. All right, that is Bob Ferrante, our uh, Osceola Insider, online at theosceola.com. Try a seven-day free trial uh, or subscribe for six ninety five a month. Great content on there as always. We'll come back and wrap things up after this on Front Row Knowles. I felt so good Like anything was possible Hit cruise control And rub my eyes Front Row Knowles on 97.9 ESPN Radio is presented by Hobson Chevrolet of Cairo, Georgia Get your best deal the Hobson way Now, back to Tom and Keith Back on the show, we'll wrap things up. You know what else we could do with this NIL, though, Keith? What could we do with it, Tommy? Well, I joke, but pro athletes do it. I mean, Derek Brooks had his radio show when he was playing. I mean, we'd take it out of your wallet, but we could have somebody sitting right here between us every week joining us now from the FSU football team. So, I mean, what, that, what that, you're saying is we're going to get the third team left tackle if you take it out of my wallet. Maybe a walk-on. Maybe a walk-on if we combine both <laughs> our wallets. No, but that's part of it. I mean, there's autograph sessions. There's legitimate work. There's just pitching a product. There's social media influencer. There's coaching, camping. You know, I, I, I mean, coaching at a camp. I concede that the concept of um, 
being able to do what everyone else can do in terms of name, image, and likeness probably is a topic that needs to be talked about. But as I mentioned to Gabe, and I'll continue to, you're going to have to take me kicking and screaming down the road till we, till we get there. I just can't help but think about locker room chemistry. When I'm sitting there and, and, and I'm working just as hard as you are, and I'm 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 the starting left tackle, and you're the quarterback. And nobody in Tallahassee likes the left tackle, but they really like the quarterback. And you're driving a brand new car, and you've got two hundred and fifty dollars of cash in your pocket, and you're eating out on on Saturday night after ball games, and and I'm going to Bojangles. I can't help but believe that's going to be a problem. Now, maybe that's a problem because I'm a problem. Maybe that's a problem because of the way I think, and today's athlete doesn't think that way. I get that. Well, you're not alone in your thought, though. I mean, in terms of the recruiting, and so the argument against is that all the top programs are already getting all the top players. I mean, it's the same schools that are top of the recruiting rankings. But the worst-case scenario, and we don't have to use names with it, is uh, Team X just calls up boosters and gets a $5 million pot of dollars and says, this is what we need to sign this class for next year. So you get the five million, and then I'll allocate it accordingly, and we'll spend four hundred grand on a quarterback, and three hundred grand on a linebacker, and two hundred grand on a corner, and we'll—it's just—it's like salary cap management at that point. And I'm afraid that you're really naive if you don't think that will happen. Um, unintended consequences. Uh, certainly, the NCAA, and you're very, very astute in your, your comment that they have got to get ahead of this because you can't piecemeal this back door. Well, they, the NCAA has made a living out of playing defense on everything. Just just stand up and scream and holler and say why it can't be this way. they got to play offense on this one. Uh, otherwise, uh, I mean, I, it, it will be anarchy for a while. If we get, if we get 50 different sets of legislation from every every state, I mean. This also may be the straw that breaks the camel back. Tommy, we haven't talked about this, but this may be the issue that becomes the forefront of breaking away from the current NCAA model. Well and, I what and creating, you know, a totally different class of institution. It it does feel like and we've got to wrap up that if you're already talking about haves and have nots, this would clearly it, it would more clearly mark that line of delineation it, it would i would agree with that you know that, that maybe it does get that way all right we're done hope you enjoyed the conversation uh we'll do our first look show after the wake forest victory on saturday night and then we'll be back on uh, wednesday for more fun in the sun right here on front run Knowles. he's keith i'm tom so long everybody in between the cover